2 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 12 through 17 this morning. Uh, let's go ahead and read it. I'm going to read the whole thing and then let's break it down. Peter says in verse 12, But these, like natural brute beasts, and again, these are the false teachers who he's referring to, they're like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed. Speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without, a water, without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever." Now, that sounds like a lot. It is a lot. It sounds confusing, but we're going to try and break it down simply for you guys this morning to understand what to look for in a false prophet and a false teacher. Now, the main obvious thing is what they're teaching, right? The words that come out of their mouth. But here we're going to see there's three things that we got to look at when it comes to false prophets and how they live, right? So what you, what you believe results in how you're going to live. And so with these false prophets believing and teaching in false doctrine, they're also going to live in that false doctrine, okay? Their lives are going to rep represent that, and we're going to see exactly what that representation is. There's three things that we're going to, three qualities of these false teachers, of these descriptions of these false teachers that we're going to see in these verses. The first thing is that a false teacher is prideful. A false teacher is prideful. We see it in verse 12 when he says, uh, they speak evil of the things they do not understand, right? In verse 13, we see that they count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime, and I'll explain a little bit more what that means in a minute. In verse 13, we also see that it says they're carousing in their own deceptions. And then in verse 18, which we're not going to cover today, but it says they speak great swelling words of emptiness. Now, the second thing we see, the first one's pride. The second one is we see that the false teacher is lustful. In verse 14, we, say, we see they have eyes full of adultery. And in verse 18, again, which we're not going to cover today, it says they entice, uh, they allure through the lusts of the flesh. So we've got pride, we've got lusts, and the last thing we're going to see is that the false teacher is greedy. So the false teacher is prideful, the false teacher is lustful, and the false teacher is greedy. And we see that in verse 14, the greed where it says they have a heart trained in covetous practices. And then we get the example of Balaam. So those three things are what we're going to cover this morning. So now let's break it down verse by verse so we can understand this better. In verse 12, Peter says this, But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. Now, I want to refer back to Jude. In Jude, verse 10, this verse is going to sound very similar to verse 12. It says, But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. So again, we see the correlation between Jude and 2 Peter chapter 2. 
So Peter starts off by saying, but these, a reference to these false teachers. In our study last week, if you guys remember, that we saw one of the angels, specifically, do you remember which angel that we talked about? He's got a name, actually. Michael. Michael the archangel, right? And that was a reference to Jude. Michael was an angel who did not, uh, did not, uh, what, what does it say in verse... Um, 11. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. And in Jude, we see Michael was an example of one of those angels that did not bring a reviling accusation against Satan, right? It wasn't his place. It wasn't his authority. It is God's and God's alone. And so we see that even the angels submit to that, but these false teachers do don't, right? And we would see as an angelic being that we should probably uh, follow in suit of that, but these false teachers don't. These false teachers, they speak things that they do not know, uh, like any, and Peter refers to them like natural brute beasts. How many of you guys have seen a wild animal before? What's like the craziest wild animal you've ever seen? Besides like a squirrel. <laughs> Joy. <laughs> Nobody's ever seen, like, a bear? You've seen a bear? Okay. Uh, what would be crazier than a bear, scarier than a bear? You saw a lion once? That's crazy. You saw what? Oh, that's good. That's good. Did you just see that guy that got attacked by a bear, survived it, and the bear came back later and then attacked him again? Like, talk about having a bad day. It's like, oh, I survived a bear attack. And then it attacks you again. No, he survived it again. And then he videotaped it afterwards with his face hanging off. So, anyways. The point of it is that a brute beast, a, a natural animal, they do what is natural to them. They do uh, just, it's, it's instinctual, right? And so, uh, yesterday, I was taking a class where I had to learn all these things about law and all these things, and, and it's so complex, all the things that you can, cannot do when it comes to law. You know, now, th it is pretty simple in the sense of, like, don't do anything dumb, right? There's good and bad, but there's complexities to it, and I was thinking, and when I got home, and I looked at my dog, and he was just chewing on his toy, and I'm like, gosh, it must be so easy to be a dog. Like, <laughs> you, that's all you do. Like, you eat, you run around, you chew on a toy, you just do dog things, right? For us, there, there's reasoning, right? For us, we have, we have a spirit. For us, we were created in God's image. And obviously, that's why we see the difference between humans and animals, correct? Animals follow their instincts, what's natural to them. And, and that's exactly what Peter's getting at here with, with the reference to these natural brute beasts, is that they are just like these animals. There's no reasoning behind it. They just go and they follow after really their instinct and what is natural, in a sense, their flesh, right? So, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed. And now this is very, a very it's very harsh words that, that Peter uses here, that they're made to be caught and destroyed. This harsh language here really indicates how serious heresy, false doctrine, false teaching is. I mean, it's serious. False teachers are to be destroyed. That's what the word says. Again, it sounds harsh. It's like, where's the love? Where's the compassion? 
Well, anybody at any point in their life can repent and turn to God, right? But we see how serious, how serious false teachers are and what they do and what they get into. They can repent, but if they don't, they will be destroyed. There, there is no second chance of grace after the fact of life, right? There is a punishment to come for them. Now, they are not to be caught and destroyed by you and I, okay? We're not to hear them on the radio and be like, I'm going to go find that guy and destroy him. That's what the Bible tells me. No, again, even the angels didn't bring a reviling accusation against Satan. It is, it is the Lord's. It is his vengeance. It is his uh, judgment that comes upon them, not ours. Ours is to get away from them, call them out, get away from them, and to warn others. And so, like natural brute beasts to be caught and destroyed, they speak evil of the things they do not understand. Again, we talked about this last week uh, in depth, that there is this ignorance, that there is this pride that comes from it. Uh, They're speaking evil of things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. There is a time where they will perish, where there will be judgment to come upon them. Verse 13, and they will receive the wages of unrighteousness. I like how Peter phrases this, the wages of unrighteousness. Now, what are the wages of unrighteousness? Like, uh, it sounds complicated saying it that way. So what is, I guess, the punishment or uh, what do you earn when there is unrighteousness or sin in your life. What do you get from that? What are the wages of sin? What are the wages of unrighteousness? The Bible tells us point blank. Death? Is that what you said? Awesome. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Boom. Done. We got it. The wages of sin is death. That is for all of us, not just false teachers. The wages of our sin is death. Hence, why we needed a savior to come and die for us to take our own wages, right? He did that for us. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans chapter 6, verse 23. False teachers will face the result of their false teaching one day. They will be paid for their evil, in a sense. They will be paid. They will receive the wages of unrighteousness, as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. Now, this is very interesting how Peter describes this, that they, they love to carouse. Now, what does the word carouse mean? Because it's not something that we often use in our own vocabulary. It means to uh, revel. It refers to extreme indulgence in sensual pleasure. Okay. Now, why would Peter say in the daytime? Like, does it matter? I mean, carousing's wrong either way, right? It's almost like this in Acts chapter 2, ironically, uh, when, when, uh, when Peter, I believe it was Peter, Peter's preaching, and, and uh, uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they start speaking in tongues, and, and people all hear the words in their own languages, because many people were there who spoke different languages, and from their original language, and so... Peter had to tell them, look, it's early in the day. He says, we're not drunk, right? And he, refer- he, he gives them an example of why they're not drunk, because it's early in the day, right? Usually that stuff happens later at night. Like, who drinks in the morning? Now, that does happen. It's, it's an anomaly, 
So, but the, the idea here that we're getting is that usually the bad stuff happens at night because that's how you're able to hide it, right? They've become so prideful and they've become so uh, arrogant in their immorality that it's not even hidden anymore, that they don't even mind carousing in the daytime. And that's how far they have fallen, right? It, it's almost like when you take that first step of sin, you try to hide it as much as you can, right? You, you don't want people to notice. And then you, you get so used to it that you really don't care what, what other people think anymore. You really don't even care what the Lord thinks anymore. So that there is no hiding it anymore. And we see that, we see that with the world. It's just an example of how the world lives apart from the Holy Spirit. And so they're carousing in the daytime. This is an example of what we would see with a false teacher and how they live, that there's really no more shame to the way that they live. There's no more shame to their unrighteousness and their immorality. And Peter refers to them as spots and blemishes. You think that's a good, good thing or a bad thing? Now, every single piece of clothing that I wear has like a spot or blemish on it. And do you know why? I literally just did it last Sunday. I was so upset at myself. I went to go eat a piece of pizza, and the grease just fell right on my sweatshirt. I was like, no, there goes another piece. And I'm like, I'm, I wish I could, I should have worn one that has like an oil stain on it, right? It, it's, it's a stain, right? A spot in a blemish. Now, in the first century, you know, when we watch like videos and movies of people in the first century in this time, you know, they're, they're, I don't think they do a great job of trying to portray how they are, but I want to give you an example. Um, obviously, they did not eat with utensils, right? They did not eat with utensils as we do today. And even then, with utensils, I still spill and get stuff on me. Uh, but they generally use their hands to eat, except for a knife. And they dropped food on the front of their clothing, and they carried a bunch of stains on their clothes. You know, so here we get the idea uh, with a person uh, who lives this lifestyle, false teachers have a stain, right? And their stain isn't so much on their clothes, it's on their character. Because a blemish, again, is a stain. It carries the idea of blame, shame, disgrace, a moral disgrace. And a stain or a spot has to do with a moral blemish. So they've got these spots, these stains, these blemishes on their character, right? It's, it's who they are. It's, be, it's from their lifestyle. And it's a disgrace, so they're carousing during the daytime. They are spots and they are blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. These false teachers, they're caught in their own web of lies and they revel in it. They play in it. They participate in it. And Peter says they do this while they feast with you. It means, th uh, to feast means to entertain uh, with so they're entertaining with the principle, the idea that we get behind this is that people love false teaching because much of their false teaching justifies their sinful lifestyle, right? And so these false teachers, they, almost, they, they preach what they want to hear, and they also preach what others want to hear. And they live in such a way that is immoral, but it's justified based on what they believe. Right? And so, uh, again, a lot of false teachers, they have mass followings because they don't preach what is truth. And truth, which is love, hurts. 
right? I mean, when, when you hear the gospel the first time, it's bittersweet. It's bitter because it's like, oh, man, I'm not as good as I thought I was, right? Like, I'm, I'm a sinful person. But it's also sweet because it's like, wow, now I realize I'm a sinful person. I can approach God in humility and receive his grace. There's a beauty to it. It's like y- you're broken so that you can be mended, right? If you don't realize you're broken and you are broken, you can't be mended and made whole again. And so they justify their sinfulness. And people love to, we love to justify our sinful, sinful lives, right? Any type of sin we're in. I don't want you to tell me that what I'm doing is wrong. I don't want you to tell me to stop doing this. I don't, I don't want you to tell me that I probably shouldn't be watching that TV show, although it's, you know, it's funny, or that movie, or listen to this music. Man, it's so good. It just hits me in all my feels, and you're telling me, like, I can't listen to that because it's not glorifying to the Lord, or it's talking about things that are immoral? Well, I don't care about the lyrics. I just like the beat, right? Well, that's a whole other story. People love false teaching because false teaching justifies sinful lifestyles. Verse 15, they have, no, verse 14, having eyes full of adultery, again, referencing to these false teachers, and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. These false teachers have eyes full of adultery. Now, whether they act on it or not, it doesn't matter, right? Because we know that adultery starts where? And sin in general, but specifically we're talking about adultery, starts where? In the bedroom? In the heart, right? It starts in the heart. In the eyes, the eyes in a sense are a window to the heart. Their eyes are full of adultery. They reject the Bible's morality and holiness. They reject the Bible in and of itself. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, this is Jesus speaking. He says, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And now this doesn't just apply to men only. This applies to women as well, right? This applies to women as well. And it says that they cannot cease from sin. And this speaks of their depravity. Now, for those of us that have Jesus, we understand that this doesn't apply to us because Jesus has, through his power and through what he's done, he's broken the chains of sin, right? That we are no longer slaves to sin. But those who don't have the Holy Spirit, who have not surrendered their lives to Jesus, they cannot cease from sin. There has to be a complete and utter surrender to Jesus to do what he does. You cannot unchain yourself from sin. You cannot on your own cease from sin. You cannot better yourself apart from Jesus Christ. So, again, what we believe and what we do go hand in hand. That's why it's important to to understand when there's false teachers. Because what they teach, if we believe it, our actions will follow. It says that these false teachers uh, not only have eyes full of adultery, and they cannot cease from sin, but they entice unstable souls. <sighs> gosh, have you guys ever seen, um, you guys ever, oh gosh, what's the channel that has all the Christian stuff on it that has 
some of the wacky stuff like Jim Baker and TBN. Is it TBN? I like I don't even know because I don't even watch that type that type that stuff. But you know they'll tell you like um, I'm not going to name any names because I'm not 100% certain. Certain, but the, you know they'll be on TV and they'll say you know well, send send your um. There's one specific lady I'm ta I'm thinking of. They even interviewed her, and basically what they do is they they say hey you know send this amount of money, and you'll be healed or you know you'll find favor in God and you'll get that raise and that promotion and you know and, and it's always centered around money right but what they do is they try to entice these unstable souls it's like picking on the weak picking on the naive picking on the gullible picking on the hurting because you know you can get you you can drain them for everything that they're worth you know for the hurting who you know their their daughter is going through cancer and they just want them to be healed and so they hear from these false teachers that look if i send in you know all this money that we're going to find favor in god's eyes for my daughter to be healed like who doesn't want that we all want that right there's nothing wrong with with wanting you know your your family to be healed or this or that but we have to understand that god doesn't always he doesn't work that it doesn't always work that way he doesn't work that way it doesn't work where we give him our money and then he gives us something in return, right? It, what it, what's happened is that he's already given us his life and he's given us spiritual blessings after spiritual blessings and we continue to find grace upon grace in our lives. But it's not a, a genie in a bottle type thing where we always get what we want, right? We, we don't always get our own will. We get his will. And sometimes it goes against what we want. And that that hurts, that sucks, but it's for our benefits, for our good. Do you want to go based upon your feeble mind, or do you want to go based upon the creator of your feeble mind, right? The one who is sovereign and in control of everything. I'd rather go with his ways than my ways. So again, these false teachers, they pounce on these unstable souls, and you know, many people, they'll, they'll listen to them, and they'll do. You know, they're, they're it's like, it blows my mind that, have you guys ever, do you guys have emails? You guys use email? You ever got an email from the, the prince of Africa saying that you just won a million dollars? You know? And like, if you give him your bank account, you know, number and he'll send it to you. He's like, well, I just realized you're actually like one of my, dis I don't know, I forget what it is. And I, I, I keep thinking, man, this has been around for years. I'm like, why does it keep happening? It's because people fall for it, right? There is this slight sense of hope. It's almost like gambling, right? There's just this, it's like one in a million. So you're telling me there's a chance? Well, yeah, there's a tiniest chance. But if you go based on logic and if you go based on, you know, uh, not that tiny bit of hope, you're going to realize that there's nothing to it. And so, Again, they, they, they feed off of that little bit of hope that people want. These unstable souls, they lure, they entice them. You know, it's, it's like taking advantage of, it's like taking candy from a baby type thing. You know, and obviously we understand that's wrong. And they take advantage of the immature, the hurting, the naive, the gullible, false teachers. In a sense, they're con men. In Ephesians chapter 4 and James chapter 1, both give us descriptions of, of these type of people. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro 
and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Like, we shouldn't be unstable. Our stability is found in the truth and God's word, in the rock, Jesus Christ. James says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We need to know what the word of God is, and we find stability in that. If we don't, then we will be swayed by all these different things that we hear that are not based on truth. Peter goes on to describe in verse 14 that they have a heart trained in covetous practices. Like, they have gone to school, not really, but they have gone to school to do this, to prey on those who are weak because they covet, they want. We see the greed, we see the pride in this. We actually get our English word gym from the Greek word here for trained. These false teachers trained their hearts in covetousness as if they went to the gym, right? That's, that's what we see, that these are, again, when we're talking about these false teachers, they are not just accidentally doing it. It's not through ignorance. It's purposeful. We see their heart, we see their life, and we see their words. They all coincide they have a heart, again, that is trained in covetous practices. They're equipped, not for ministry, but for selfish gain. And Peter says that these are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray. It's almost as if he's saying they once knew what was right. That's not almost what he's saying. It is what he's saying. They knew the right path. They knew the truth. They rejected it because they didn't want it and they've come up with their own way, and they've deceived themselves, and now they're deceiving others, and there is much destruction in that. They have forsaken the right way, and they have gone astray. Gone astray is typically referred to as somebody who's an apostate, somebody who was once in the faith and has gone astray, who has left the faith. And we can get into the discussion later about whether, well, were they saved? Did they lose their salvation? That's a whole other discussion. But we know that apostasy is real. And we even see it here that they have forsaken the right way. They've gone astray. And what have they done? Where have they followed? They have followed the way of Balaam. The way of Balaam. Anybody know who Balaam is in the word of God? We've heard it before. Has anybody heard his story in Numbers? He rides a donkey. The donkey talks. No? Okay. It's a really interesting story. And Peter uses uh, the description in the story of Balaam as an illustration of someone who used religion for his own agenda, his own greed, right? Like he, he uses it for his own prosperity, you know, that uh, 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 preying on other people so that he could better himself. And, and that's the complete opposite of what Jesus tells us to do, right? He tells us, look, if you want to be the greatest, you got to be last. If you want to be, or the least, if you want to be the first, you got to be last, um, you, you've got to carry your cross. You've got to look out for other people's interests. He didn't come to be served, but to serve, right? Again, the complete opposite of the world, and the false teachers are following after what the world believes and thinks. And so he's trying to gain his own uh, prosperity through his own greed by preying on others, by uh, immorality, so let's look at it in Numbers chapter 22. Actually, we're not going to read it because we don't have time, but you guys can look at it in your own time. 
Numbers 22, 23, and a little bit beyond, but mainly in chapter 22, we see the king of Bala- uh, King Balak of the Moabites, he actually hires Balaam because Balaam is a prophet, and he hires Balaam to curse Israel, right? Because he knows that he can't defeat Israel just by himself or on his own, any natural means. And so every, and, and, and there's a whole story that leads up to it, which I'm not going to get into because of the donkey. Uh, but as, okay, I'm going too fast. Let me pause. Balaam actually says, no, I'm not going to do it. Okay, I'm not going to curse Israel because I, I, I don't want to mess with God, right? After a while, he decides to go. He gets on his donkey. His donkey three times stops because the angel of the Lord appears in front of him on his way, and the donkey's like, well, look, I, I'm going to veer off. I'm going to stop. And the last time, he lays down. And each time the donkey did that, Balaam, like, hit him, you know, struck him, kicked him, because he's like, well, get back up. Let's keep going. After the third time, the donkey actually speaks, right? This is in the word. The donkey speaks because, you know, God can do what he wants. And, and uh, the donkey says, you know, why, why are you doing this to me? I'm just, I'm just your donkey. I've always done what I've, I've always done. And, and uh, finally, you know, Balaam gets to uh, King Balak, and he tells him he's not going to do it, uh, that he would not uh, curse God's people. But eventually, because Balaam desired uh, great financial gain and material, material things, that right before he left, right before he left, he gave the king, King Balak of the Moabites, advice that would bring destruction upon God's people. And actually, you know what? Every time that he tried to uh, curse God's people, he actually blessed them even more. Interesting enough, before this all happened. But again, before he left, he gave uh, the king some advice. He says, do this. He counseled the king that the children of Israel could be brought down by sexual and spiritual idolatry. And so the women of Moab, through this advice, uh, were sent by King Balak to seduce the young Israeli soldiers and entice them to worship their God. And this plan worked. This plan brought great destruction upon the people of God. And Balaam's heir was to think he could use his God-given position for profit rather than for God's glory. And we see this, this prime example with these false teachers, is that regardless of this destruction and what people go through, they would rather gain their own wealth and their own prosperity and their own material things and using it under the guise of a spiritual authority of under being a a teacher of the word of god and they're following after the way of balaam who loved the wages of unrighteousness we see that at the end of verse 15 who loved the wages of unrighteousness but verse 16 says he was rebuked for his iniquity right and who rebuked him Well, a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. A donkey rebuked him. Now, all of us have been rebuked in our lives at one point or another, but none of us by a donkey, right? That's, That's humiliating. For a donkey to rebuke you and tell you what you're doing is wrong. Here, a donkey was smarter than Balaam. And not only did this donkey speak, which is amazing of itself, what he spoke was truth. And now, just a little tidbit for me as I'm reading this, I understand 
that is if a donkey can speak truth, that God doesn't really even need to use me, right? Like, who am I? I'm just a person. God can use a donkey. There's nothing special about me. If he doesn't want to use me, next week there could be a donkey up here, right? So, but this donkey was able to restrain the madness of the prophet, and Balaam was mad because his love for money blinded him. Verse 17, let's close here. These are wells without water. These, speaking again of the false prophet, they're like wells without water. It's a beautiful illustration that we're going to get here. Two, two illustrations that are given for the depravity of these false teachers. One is they're wells without water, and two, they're like clouds carried by a tempest. Right? So this first one, typically an ancient traveler, when they would see a well afar off, you would expect to receive what in the well? Water, right? Just in the same way as we talked about last week, when Jesus saw the fig tree and it was, had the leaves, he expected what? Figs, right? Because it had produced leaves, and after leaves, or before the leaves, came the fruit. So he expected to find figs as he drew closer to it. As a traveler draws closer to the well, he's going to see, well, it's a well without water. And what does that do? What does that make you feel? Cheated, disappointed, right? And that's exactly what these false teachers do. They, they, they make and they give you this uh, promise, and there's an anticipation for that promise, but that promise never comes to fruition, right? There's a promise of water, but as you get closer to the well, there is no water. I'll give you a prime example. I'm going to use the story that Whitney told me this week. There's um, a person she was talking to, and she went to a church, and I believe this is okay because nobody's going to know. Um, she went to a church um, where they had, like, healing services, and they prayed over her with something, they anointed her, and they told her, you know, within the next year, you know, you're, you're going you're gonna to be promised this thing. A year later, anticipating and wanting that thing, and it was a good thing. It was a, it was a thing that, that God blesses us with. She never got it, right? And so there, then there's that, that disappointment because there's this false promise that is made. And that's exactly what these false teachers do. They will prey on you because you, you want and hope and desire something, whether it's, you know, to, to be, you know, healed of this sickness, you know, to get, you know, a better position in your career, uh, for your kids to come back to the Lord, whatever it may be. They promise these things, but it's not even in their control. You know, who am I to say that you're going to get that? I don't know. That's in the Lord's hands. So there's these false promises that deliver great disappointment, just like a well without water. And the second illustrations are like clouds carried by a tempest. There is no stability to a cloud. A cloud goes wherever the wind pushes it, right? And now with this tempest, like this storm brewing, there would be this expectation that rain would come. And the description here is that they're carried by a tempest, that there is no rain to actually come. So again, there is this disappointment. There is this emptiness, right? There's an expectation of something, but it is empty. False teachers always promise more than they can deliver. And we, people, we buy into those promises. And the only one that we can trust that guarantees his promises is who? Jesus. 
right? He's the only one that will never break his promise. That's why in the very beginning when he made the covenant with Abraham and he made the promise to him, he didn't even make the promise with Abraham. He did it with himself so that that covenant would never be broken. God can't break a promise, but man can. Abraham can. So these false teachers, whoever tells you and promises you things that are outside and contrary to what God has promises and what God has said in his word, don't listen to them. Don't find your hope in them, okay? Find your hope in what God has promised you. And he says for these false teachers at the very end, verse 17, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So just in between all these things we're, we're reading, we see occasionally the judgment that is going to come, where, what's going to end up for them uh, in the long run. So it's all in the Lord's hands, and he is going to control it, and he will deal with their judgment and their punishment to come. And for us, and our goal is to continue on the straight and narrow, know what is truth, and not give in to these things that are false. Because listen, again, I tell you every week, there's many, many churches, there's many, many preachers, there's many, many voices, right? We live in an age where you can listen to anyone and pretty much everyone. But we don't find our truth based on some man's opinion on YouTube or in the pulpit. We find truth in this. 